So for the, for the fourth session tonight, we're going to be talking about the perfection of God's attributes. So we've talked about his aseity and the fact that he is a triune God, but then we come to a bit of a broader topic. Who is this independent and triune God and, and what is he like? And so we, as we ask that question, who is he at the core of his being, we're going to sort of answer that in regards to exploring his attributes. And for anyone who grew up in the church, or maybe even in the West overall, we, we tend to assume certain things about God, that God is loving, that God cares. But we have to ask the question um, that we've been asking throughout tonight, how do we know that? How do we know that God isn't temperamental or subject to change? And so as we go about answering this, we're going to focus on his attributes, not maybe as deep a dive as we would like, but at a high level. And so all of these things are explored as we talk about his characteristics. And there's a sense that mankind truly knowing God through his attributes is the chief reason God created us. Uh, A.W. Pink in his short book, uh, The Attributes of God, which I heartily recommend, begins by saying, a spiritual and saving knowledge of God is the greatest need of every human creature. We have a need to know our creator. Jesus says in John 17 that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Our eternity is actually defined by Christ as knowing the triune God. And something more than just a theoretical knowledge is needed, as Pink says. We cannot be satisfied with being able to vaguely talk about God, we need to truly know him. This is the difference between looking at someone's social media page, and looking at their bio, versus actually sitting down, getting to know their likes and dislikes, and truly knowing that person. That's theoretical versus practical. And so, again, we won't be able to dive into this as much as I would like, but I'm hoping more so after than beginning, we'd be able to say with Paul, I know whom I have believed. Before um, diving into his attributes, we need to talk about God's simplicity. So God is simple. Now, if this is the first time you're hearing this and you're anything like me, you are probably confused saying, there's no way God is simple. He's infinitely complex beyond our comprehension. And in that sense of the word, you'd be right. God is not simple. He's beyond our wildest imaginations. However, when we talk about the simplicity of God, we are saying that all God is, he is always without confusion, division, parts, or segmentation. Who he is, his attributes, his very being, that's who he is, in essence. So putting this negatively might make a little bit more sense. When we think about God, we can't think about him as slices of a pie. That maybe he's 30% just, 15% merciful, 10% wise. Uh, we, we can't divide him quantitatively like that. Herben Bavink, a 19th century Dutch theologian, I think puts this very well, that the reason why you can't divide God up, sort of like partialism, the Trinitarian heresy, is that he would at points be first less than 100% God. He would only be 33% loving or 33% gracious. Additionally, though, sometimes his attributes would overcome other attributes. He'd be more loving than wrathful or maybe more wrathful than gracious. And that would mean he would be subject to change. And if he's subject to change, then he cannot actually be God. So if God is not simple, he cannot actually be God. And as we talk about his simplicity as it relates to his attributes, uh, we, we just have to remember, we cannot divide them 
quantitatively. Um, instead, at every moment, for all eternity, God's very essence is all his attributes, indivisible and without any division. For example, he's not just truthful, as if truthfulness is some definition get, that gets imparted onto him. He is truth itself. And along with being truth itself, he's holiness itself. He's omnipotence itself. He's patience itself. All at the same time, all at the very core of his being, and all for all eternity. That is his simplicity. If that's still unclear, maybe we can use an analogy for when he was at the cross. At, at the cross, was the triune God perfectly loving? We'd say yes, completely loving. And at the cross, was the triune God perfectly just? We'd say yes, perfectly just. Was he perfectly wise? Yes, perfectly wise. And we could go on and on, that he is all of his attributes at all moments. So we have to keep his simplicity in mind as we talk about his characteristics. And this helps keep us on the good path without falling into a number of ditches. First, it helps us from viewing his attributes as mutually exclusive, that somehow he cannot be both wrathful and gracious. We're never to set characteristics of God as opposed to each other, like they can't coexist. Additionally, we're protected from almost rank ordering his attributes, considering certain attributes as, as more important than others and maybe degrading or diminishing other attributes. As I think Pink puts this well. He says there's no perfection in him that is less perfect than another. Um, and, and lastly, this concept of simplicity helps us study his individual attributes appropriately. Learning about who God is, looking at specific attributes is helpful for our devotion and education, but all the while we have to keep in mind the, the comprehensive oneness of his character, that he is one God, simple in every sense of the word. Moving forward, um, I want to delineate between maybe two segments as we talk about the attributes of God, his incommunicable and his communicable attributes, incommunicable and communicable. And they're on your sheet, but we're going to start with the first one. Um, God's incommunicable attributes are those that are only his. They're not shared with his creatures. Think about his omnipresence. God is everywhere, all at once. There's not a place where he is not. We, on the other hand, are, are here. We're geographically located. We're not across the street. We're not in a different state. So God's omnipresence is incommunicable in the sense that only he holds it. We do not hold it as his creatures. And this is one of the, the biggest things that, that we need to keep in mind as we think about the creature-creator distinction that Z talked about earlier. Uh, God is altogether different, altogether unique compared to us. I think if, if you turn to Psalm 50, um, this will help frame our discussion on this idea, his incommunicable attributes. So Psalm 50, um, we'll just look at one verse, and that'll be verse 21. So we read in Psalm 50, 50 verse 21, uh, These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. You thought that I was one like yourself. We're prone to think that God is, is like us, that yes, he's king, he's Lord, but really he's more similar to us than different. There's a tendency to really view him as almost human-like. If you think about man-made religions throughout all of history, um, that, that is the tendency of mankind. The Greek 
gods are really just super powerful humans. Hindu religion is based on this idea that gods are human-like more because they think humans are godlike. Even us in the West can easily fall into this, maybe unintentionally or innocently, by asking a question of how can a loving God send people to hell? Because we as humans struggle to understand how these two ideas can coexist. Uh, we presuppose that God is like us and therefore say, well, a loving God couldn't send people to hell. We, we think of God with a human-like view, exchanging the glory of the creator for the creation. And so we have to avoid this type of idea. God is altogether different from us. He's independent. We're completely dependent. He's eternal. We are mortal. He's uncreated. We're created. He's not like us. And so, as again, we've talked about a lot tonight, the only way to have and maintain this distinction is by God's special revelation through the Holy Scriptures. And there's a lot of places where the Lord makes this very clear, but I think a great example of this is in Job, where Job and his friends finish this whole long discourse of why is Job going through this suffering that he's going through. And then God comes and, and meets Job, and instead of explaining away why Job suffered the way he did, he actually puts Job in his place, in a sense, and says, you're created, I am uncreated. He expresses his incommunicable attributes to Job. Just, just a variety of verses. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? In other words, are you eternal and creator like me? God says, do you know where the mountain goats give birth? Do you observe the calving of the does? Said differently, are, are you omniscient, all-knowing like I am? God challenges Job to adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. This is clear. God is independent. He has aseity. Job does not. In love, the Lord is showing Job that he is a creature. He is not like God. They are altogether different. And so studying his incommunicable attributes, some we've listed, some we haven't, then is, is knowing that he's just far higher and more lofty than we could ever imagine. And that should lead to fear and humility. A God who created time and space itself and sits outside of them, unencumbered and uninfluenced, is truly worthy of our submission. Who are we in comparison to this God? It's hard to be humble before the Lord, and it's hard to worship Him, even as Christians, when we really put Him in a human-sized box. But when we see His infinite otherliness, then we're truly drawn to worship and praise Him. Uh, the second set of attributes we mentioned at the beginning were His communicable attributes. These are things as image bearers that we ourselves have some semblance of. When God reveals himself in Exodus 34, he said he is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And we as humans can be merciful. We can be gracious. We can be slow to anger. We can be faithful. We can be loving. Not in the exact same sense as God, right? But in an image of God's character. However, we have to be careful here not to put our definition of these attributes on God, but we have to let him define these attributes. For, for example, when God is jealous, he's not jealous in the same way that we're jealous. When we think of jealousy, we, we think of this sinful jealousy where one party sort of yearns after the possessions or characteristics of another. Um, that, is, that is not God's jealousy. He has a holy, perfect 
jealousy, where he has a holy desire for the affections and minds of his people. So we're blessed as image bearers to reflect in a sense who God is. However, because of sin, we, we have a marred and distorted reflection of God's character. So to actually see who he is and his communicable attributes, we can't look to humans, but to Christ. Christ came to reveal the Father to humanity as the image of the invisible God. And in his human nature, which we just talked about, he alone shows the full extent of his communicable attributes. He even goes as far as to say, as, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Or in John 1, which we've already referenced, John says, no one has ever seen God, so no one has truly known God. But the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known that Jesus reveals who God is to us being made human so that we as humans could actually understand our creator. And so in love, he actually enables us to fulfill the very reason we are created, which is to know and love God. Zooming out a bit, I want to put things together in a way that's devotionally practical. So when we talk about his simplicity and his incommunicable and communicable attributes, how does that actually play out in our personal time in the Word, in our life? And let's say we're reading Titus 1, and you get to the second verse where Paul is outlining his reasons for ministry, and he is explaining the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. You can ask yourself the question as you read this or any passage, what does this reveal about God? Well, first we see God never lies. It's against his character to lie. So we learn an attribute of God, which is his trustworthiness. Every single word, letter of scripture is more trustworthy than the sun rising tomorrow. On top of this, because God is simple, we know that it is a holy trustworthiness. He's perfectly trustworthy in a way that's not a human level of trust, but a divine level of faithfulness. And, and we can keep on going like this. We, we know it is not just a holy trustworthiness, but it is eternally holy trustworthiness because he promised this to us before times eternal. He has always been who he is. And on top of all this, it's, it's gracious. It's a free gift. He's promised us eternal life, Paul says in that verse, freely through his son to all who would believe in him. And so he is a gracious, eternal, holy, trustworthy God all at once, all completely, not divisibly, but simply. And so I hope you can see, like, you can keep going with that, but it's devotionally practical as we seek to understand God's character. And so as we started and talked about his, that we need a more, more than a theoretical knowledge of God, well, as we go into our time in the Word, this is how we go from theoretical to practical um, and truly know him. And the result should be worship. I hope that's what we can get out of every session tonight, that the study of God should lead us to worship. Um, One of the things that R.C. Sproul talked about a good amount in his teaching was this idea of beauty. He loved beauty and wanted Christians to see the goodness of the arts. Um, You can see this in his, the church that he built down in Florida, it's high gothic ceilings and stained glass windows behind the pulpit and You can even see this in his teaching. He had a whole teaching series on recovering the beauty of the arts. But one of the central aspects of his teaching on the subject was his thought that the best artwork and music, the pieces that all people recognize as objectively beautiful, as masterpieces, 
are beautiful because they have complexity with harmony. Complexity with harmony. So complexity with no harmony is chaos. It's like a child's drawing that they give to their parents. But harmony without complexity is simplistic. Anyone can do that. However, complexity with harmony is what draws our attention. It's the Grand Canyon, which is so vast and beyond our comprehension, yet it's simple in the fact that it's made by a single river. It's the 19th century artwork called pointillism, which is this, these masterpieces that are made with thousands of little individual points or dots of paint. It's unbelievably complex when you look at each dot, but it's also simple that it's, it just looks like a normal picture when you zoom out. And so how much more is our God infinitely complex, yet perfect in his harmony? So therefore, he is the chief beauty. Each attribute is incredible alone, but when you put them together simply, it is beyond our comprehension. That's what makes God so beautiful to us, is that he is simple. No human can be perfect in every way at every possible moment, yet our God is, and that's why he's worthy of our praise. And this complexity with harmony is best seen in the incarnate Son. When the second person of the Trinity took on flesh, he never stopped being God Almighty, Yahweh. So when Jesus is described as a lowly servant, he is at the exact same moment completely the mighty king, reigning and ruling over all creation. When Jesus was born as a helpless baby, he was at the same time upholding the world with the word of his mouth. When John sees Christ in Revelation, he is the mighty lion and the slain lamb. So seeing the beauty of God in Jesus is one of the best ways we can grow in our worship of him and appreciation of his perfection. So hopefully this just serves as maybe initial teaser um, to recommend like studying his attributes more and more individually. Um, I mentioned the A.W. Pink book. I think that's a fantastic one, but maybe we'll just close before questions with... Um, what the Lord says in Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, I think it's fitting. It says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. So, with that, any Q&A?